Welcome to Strategy Casters. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategy Casters, where we bring you conversations with investment managers you are not hearing elsewhere. Today we'd like to uh, welcome Eric Clark here. Eric is the Portfolio Manager of Alpha Brands Consumer Spending Index. So, Eric, welcome to Strategy Casters. Hi, good morning. We've got a couple of questions for you here. AccuVest Alpha Brands Consumer Spending Index is your brainchild. So after decades of investment management and marketing, you created this strategy, which is focused, as I see and as we've talked, on three things. One, the consumer spending. Two, brand recognition. And three, stock performance. So tell us how this strategy was born and why you created it. Sure, Charlie. Um, You know, I think a lot of good ideas come from frustration with existing options. And one of the things that I I noticed as an investor and as a marketer of strategies is that I couldn't find one single investment that had the leading brands all contained in, in inside of it, and so I said, you know, for, for whatever reason, th- this this doesn't exist. So I and I think it's very important, and I, I've done a ton of research, and I thought if it doesn't exist and it's a good idea, then it should it, it should be uh, a going concern. So I created it. So this is uh, basically an index. It's long only investments into companies that are well known brands because you believe that they outperform the market in both good and bad times? Every bad time is different, but overall... If you know, my belief is if 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 consumption drives the economy, and brand loyalty drives consumer behavior, then it's probably logical that the best brands, the most iconic brands, the most recognizable brands, are going to be the ones that you probably want to invest in if you're you know from a stock market perspective. So, are these all consumer? Stocks, so consumer companies. Uh, do you have any companies that are B two B transportation companies, things like that? Yeah, we do. So we track seventy sub industries. So it's a pretty broad, diverse group across nine different sectors. Now, primarily the two hundred index is consumer focused companies. So that's two hundred companies in the index. Correct. Correct. Okay. Two hundred companies equally weighted reconstituted or updated every mid to late December and mostly consumer facing. Some of those are not, they don't touch the consumer directly. They're kind of part of the consumption supply chain, if you will. For instance, like a Boeing, clearly the largest airline manufacturer, manufactures airplanes, which touch travel, which touch consumers. That's kind of a second derivative of the consumption theme. Okay. And so you select these 200 companies, and if you recognize the name, does that mean that it's a well-recognized brand, or have you done surveys among consumers and asked them what names they recognize? done a ton of industry research. There are some brand consultants out there. Interbrand is a very well-known brand. Brand Z, which is part of a, a huge conglomerate, advertising and, and PR conglomerate in London. All of them have put out 
for years their top 100 global brand surveys. Now their their goal is working with these brands and try to help them enhance the brand. So they're not ta- they're not taking a, a an investment angle. Plus all the research that we do on individual companies from traditional Wall Street research to identify who are the leading brands. But for for our purposes, when we created the 200, we just wanted leaders in the most consumer-facing industries. Those are the brands that we tended to focus on. And by leaders, we used a very simple kind of ranking system that talks about size and market cap, growth, and then sales growth, because we want today's leaders and brands, but also maybe tomorrow's brands as well. So tell us now, you've got uh, these 200 companies that, that you've identified who are major uh, well-known brands, okay, but Sears is a well-known brand. You're long only. I presume you're not investing in Sears. Sears did not make the cut, no. Okay, so what causes a company to make the cut? Being at the top of the ranking systems with those three factors, market cap, sales and sales growth within the consumer-facing sector. So in order for you to get into the index, you have to, to A, be one of the 70 sub-industries, and then you have to be one of the leaders in those sub-sectors based on the, the ranking system, and Sears wouldn't qualify. Uh, it, it did, you know, 10 years ago, Sears clearly was a highly recognizable brand, but it also had the sales and the sales growth and the market cap to be included. It just doesn't anymore. So you take the market cap or the largest companies that have strong sales and have sales growth, and that kind of eliminates those that are not going anywhere. Yeah, and, and we, don't need, we don't need full exposure. You know, for instance, the apparel retail sector, you know, let's say there's 22 constituents to choose from. I don't need 22. If I only have 200 slots, an analogy would be if I have a hotel that has 200 rooms and my goal is to fill those 200 rooms up with the best clients at the end of, uh, at the, end of the, the year, um, I don't need to choose all of the all of the companies, so to speak, in each one of those sub, sub-industries. So I choose how much exposure, or we, uh, myself and Acuvest, the investment committee, we choose how much exposure we want based on how important that consumer subsector is to the overall consumption theme. So how were you able to backtest this to determine if your factors that you're looking at are indeed valid potential predictors for future performance. Well, so what we did is we hired a third-party index calculation company, uh, INDXX. They're based in New York. They have been the creator of many different indexes and many investment products. ETFs have been created using their indexes. Uh, so I think you need, to, you need to go to an outside, third-party, unbiased source Take your information, take your data, take your analysis to them, and then they go about doing the calculation for you. That's what they do. They're professionals. And so uh, were you able to determine that the factors you're looking at are indeed valid predictors of future performance of stocks? The answer to that question lies in the sectors. So if you take a look at literally since 1989 when the S&P sectors were created, the consumer discretionary, consumer staples sectors 
have outperformed the, the market, the S&P 500, since 1989. So you have a bit of a tailwind just by owning a lot of the consumer sector, uh, consumer stocks in general, and we think we can even enhance that strictly by owning the leaders rather than just owning a, a complete basket of those, of those stocks. So why didn't you just stay with the consumer sector? Well, I, I think if you're tracking the consumption theme, Consumption is more than just discretionary items and staples. It's technology. It's health care. You know, my view was from the time that you are an infant and your parents are buying Gerber baby food and Pampers for you all the way through adolescence and early adulthood and then uh, older adulthood, we as, we as people consume. And so I, what, what we wanted to do is track the leading brands across a life cycle of spending. You know, certainly that has a, there's some demographic implications in there as we go forward you know my my mother's 73 she consumes different brands and in, in different quantities than for instance a millennial does at 30 years old and so it didn't seem to make sense to track only one portion of that we wanted to track a more comprehensive list of brands that people consume across you know from the time they're born to the time that they pass so you take your factors and you apply that analysis to whatever number are in the universe. And then do you take the top 200 or do you make sure you have representation from each of the 70? How do you do that? Because there's a fair amount of discretion here, obviously. There is. So we, as the investment committee, decided how much exposure we wanted to each important sub-industry. For instance, apparel retail, clearly a very important part of the, of the retail sales component, which is you know $5 trillion a year. We decided we're going to have, let's say, eight or nine companies, the leading company, the leading brands, from that subsector versus, let's say, the home improvement sector, we only need Home Depot and, and Lowe's. There are a few others, but we didn't feel compelled to take all of them because if you look at all of the, the most recognizable, the most relevant brands in that category, clearly Lowe's and Home Depot are, are, are the primary brands to focus on. Okay. Discretion in terms of that. And then are you equally weighted in all of those that you're in? The 200 are equally weighted. We didn't want to give, you know, this is not like a, a traditional market cap weighted index where as those companies get bigger and, and their price uh, continues to go forward, you end up buying more and more of those. We wanted this to be equal weighted. Let's let Amazon be the same way as Home Depot be the same weight as O'Reilly Automotive when we start? And then all year, well, let's, let, let's, it's, it's a bit of a horse race. Let's let each brand compete in performance until the end of the year when we reconstitute. So this is an index of these consumer companies, and you've identified the brands, and you are, are satisfied and confident that stock performance is at least influenced by the fact that it is a consumer brand and that sector has performed very well in the past, okay, or outperformed the market in general in the past, and the brand recognition, you know, Coca-Cola and, um, you know, other brands that are well recognized, they're going to continue to do well in stock performance in both up and down markets, and their relative performance should be fairly good. You know, I think, you know, nobody knows the future. But if you are picking the leaders in important categories, and when I say important, in my meetings I remind everybody, if your goal is to, let, let's talk about large cap investing in general. Your goal through large cap investing.
is to have a bit of a proxy investment in the U.S. economy in order to, A, track the economy and hopefully perhaps beat the S&P 500, which is kind of the proxy. One, you need to understand what drives the economy, and that's 70% of GDP comes from consumption. So so I, I can't tell you that, that what's going to happen any particular year, but I can say the most predictable thing is consumption and this is not a recent phenomenon over the last 50 years consumption as a percentage of gdp has been somewhere between 60 and 70 percent so so it's consumption has always been the most important driver of this economy and therefore the the thought process is if consumption is what drives the economy then the best brands that consumers tend to focus on and use their products those are the ones that will probably be pretty decent stocks at the very least in in down markets, they'll be defensive in some cases. Not all the time. You know, 2008, I think uh, everything was sold indiscriminately. But certainly staples tend to do much better than discretionary stocks when the market and economy is difficult. And so you have consumer discretionary stocks that tend to do really well in raging economies and tend to lag a little bit in recessions, but then you have staples that tend to be pretty defensive. How often do you change your list of 200? Only once a year. Only once, once a, year. a year. Now, we have, at AccuVest, we run a, sl- uh, 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 a suite of investment products that are powered by this index. So this index is the starting point from, for every other product that we have, separately managed accounts. We recently launched an offshore mutual fund for our non-U.S. clients, and we ultimately will have some sort of commingled vehicle, whether it's an ETF or a mutual fund, who knows. But uh, the goal is to have a suite of products that allow people to access the consumption theme via a broad universe of the leading brands. Eric, this is very interesting stuff. We need to stop for just a minute and take a break. And uh, when we come back, uh, let's talk about the market conditions where this would be most advantageous and the market conditions where the strategy would be least advantageous here. So again, we're talking with Eric Clark, portfolio manager and creator of the Alpha Brands Consumer Spending Index of AccuVest. You're listening to Strategy Casters, and we'll be right back. AccuVest Global Advisors is an institutional asset manager managing domestic blue chip brand strategies, as well as a global ETF strategist. In fact, AccuVest has the longest GIPS verified track record managing active ETF portfolios using single country ETFs. AccuVest serves institutional and high net worth global clients from North America, South America, Europe, and the Caribbean. For more, simply visit their website, AccuVest.com. That's A C C U V E S T, AccuVest.com. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Again, we're talking with Eric Clark, portfolio manager and and, uh, creator of Alpha Brands Consumer Spending Index of AccuVest. So, Eric, uh, this is a very interesting and, as far as I know, unique strategy here. And so how does does, uh, an investor or an advisor access this strategy? Do they come directly to you? Do you do separately managed accounts for these? you have an ETF for it? How do they access? Sure. There's a couple of ways right now. Number one, you can come to us through investment advisors. Generally, right now, RIAs 
that use separately managed accounts, we are available. You can also come to us on a direct basis. And, you know, we're, we're agnostic about how we reach the end user. Some people like to be direct do-it-yourself investors, and some folks like to be advisor-driven. We're agnostic to that, and we're available through a separate account. And, again, that separate account is a sub-segment of the 200. Everything we do is powered by the 200, and those separately managed portfolios are, you know, kind of what we call the best of the best internally, uh, the, the 35 companies, the 35 brands that we think are the most attractive based on three different factors the best sustainable dividend yielders, who are we call the best operating kings, and who has uh, some strong price momentum. Those three factors combined make up the separately managed portfolio. Okay, so let's go back to the strategy itself for just a minute here. This is a long-only strategy, always fully invested like ETFs are, correct? Uh, actually, we have two. We have two models. One is the fully invested, long-only strategy. That's the co- It's called Core Alpha Brands. And then we also have a dynamic strategy because we have talked to lots of advisors who say, I don't want to make market calls. I don't want to decide when to go to cash, if to go to cash. But I understand that sometimes the market does funny things, and and I want to make sure that I I have a manager who has an opinion. And so the dynamic model allows us to go to a maximum of 40% cash or bonds. The economy slows and, and recessions look more likely. That tends to be when major drawdowns happen. So we wanted to have a model that allows us to get more conservative. And then we asked the advisor, if you would like to control the asset allocation, take the core equity strategy, which is long only. You know it's always going to be fully invested. And if you want to turn over some of those allocation decisions over to the manager, then perhaps the dynamic model is for you that allows us to have a little more flexibility. With uh, with tactical movement here. Correct. Okay. So tell us, what market conditions do you see would be most advantageous for the strategy, and what market conditions would be least advantageous? Sure. Well, again, if your goal is to track the economy, we know that consumption drives the economy. So from a core allocation to equities, I think this uh, a strategy like this makes sense all the time. Now, when will it really shine? That would be in higher growth economies that tend to be associated with, you know, three, four percent GDP growth. When stocks are performing really well, you're going to get the leading brands in technology, but the discretionary stocks should do pretty well. I want folks to know that from an asset allocation perspective, this strategy, you'll have about 40% exposure to the leading consumer discretionary brands. So the consumer discretionary sector is going to be a heavy driver of this, of this, this index and the products that, that are created based on that index. And consumer discretionary tends to do really well kind of early to mid-cycle, and then staples tend to do very well kind of mid to, to late cycle. And so uh, what do you see as an unfavorable part of the cycle where this strategy would not do as well? I had a great conversation with a big advisor here in Southern California, and he said, you know, it it makes complete sense. It's very logical. He's a little nervous about the economy. He's a little nervous about the markets. And he said, would it be fair to say that if perhaps there's a 30% odds of recession, would I be nervous about this strategy because it, it touches the consumer and consumer drives this economy and maybe if we go into a recession, perhaps that would struggle a little bit. And, and I said it's an absolutely fair question, but the research, and again, I don't know the future, but I can tell you from looking at the past, what tends to happen in big corrections or big recessionary down moves in the markets discretionary tends to look very market-like. 
which is okay. The market 2008, the S&P struggled, particularly in the, in the fall of 08. Consumer discretionary stocks struggled as well. Not so ironically, though, the, the more defensive sectors, telecom, healthcare, consumer staples, tend to do pretty well when the market is having a hard time. Money tends to flow to those stable, predictable earnings, and so your exposure to some of those companies acts as a bit of a stabilizer when the other part of that index, consumer discretionary, might be struggling a little bit. So overall, you know, if you look at the 10-year look back that we created with our index partner, we capture you know, a little over the market when the market's going up, and we capture a little less than the market when the market's going down, and that's really all you can ask of a strategy. And so uh, can you give us an example here, Eric, of one of the positions in your 200? Obviously, we're going to recognize the name and kind of why they're in there. Sure. I think the biggest reason for this whole strategy is that, you know, if you take one brand, you might not realize how many other sub-brands that company owns. For instance, if there were a mass market product, an ETF or a mutual fund that allowed you to invest in the 200 companies, you would be getting access to much more than the 200 brands simply because each one of those, not everyone, but a lot of the brands own a number of very highly recognizable other brands. Those intangible assets are very, very valuable. You know, a few examples would be Microsoft. Everybody knows the name Microsoft, but maybe a lot of people don't know Microsoft owns Xbox. They recently purchased LinkedIn. So with your investment in Microsoft as a stock, you're getting access to an ownership in a lot of other really important brands. Disney's another example. You know, everybody knows Disney and the Disney theme parks, but they also own ESPN, a huge brand. They, they own Lucas Films. They own Marvel Entertainment. So with that investment in these iconic brands, you're, you're getting access to names that you didn't really know you could get access to. You know, Johnson & Johnson's another one. They own brands like Motrin and Neutrogena, Band-Aid, Tylenol, Listerine. Most people don't realize that, that some of these household names are roll-ups into other big companies that they could invest in. That's a great point. I had not thought about that at all. So here's a question for you here, and it may not be all that easy, okay? Right now, United States is king of the hill. I mean, China is struggling and expected to have a very hard landing uh, sometime fairly soon. Look at Japan, been struggling for 20 years. Their economy, you know, and not just their stock market, but their economy. Europe, we know, is struggling. The banks are especially struggling in Italy and Spain and Portugal and elsewhere in Europe, okay? And probably it's an advantage today to be focused only on the United States because our economy is the best performing in the world, really. And, you, and with oil and energy dropping in price, Brazil and Russia and Malaysia and other countries that when oil was rising in price were doing well. So what about the argument that small cap companies who are focused only on U.S. consumption or on U.S. market are really in a better position to outperform these large companies that are worldwide, and they're going to struggle with the worldwide issues and economical problems. Sure, I think that speaks to, to asset allocation. I mean, the, the goal is that you own both. I can tell you that the consumption driving the economy is not a U.S. phenomenon. If you look across the world, 
consumers make up the largest portion of GDP for most major economies. Even China, estimates are you know, something like 38% of their GDP comes from consumption. I watched an interview today on CNBC that had a guy from Bide, uh, uh, Alibaba talking about their business recently, and he said the major driving theme that's driving China and Asia is consumption. Yeah, I, I have read those same things. These very economies recently. are manufacturing-based, now switching to consumption-based. Correct. And so if that's true, and we know that it is, then you want to have that exposure to those companies that are selling into all of those major economies. Because, again, even, even if the whole world goes into, into a global recession, we still have to brush our teeth. We still have to drive to work. We still want to buy toilet paper. We still need household items. We still want to be on our cell phones. And so that, you know, knowing that you own those brands through, this, through the, you know, I'll, I'll use the, the phrase safety, but you own the global consumption theme through the strong U.S. brands across all those different sectors. You know, very interesting. I, I appreciate that insight, which I, uh, I really hadn't recognized before. Tell us, you've got a couple of decades of experience here, Eric, in uh, some very good companies. You did not start this strategy out of desperation. Why are you with this? Why is it important to you? And why are you doing this and not something else? Sure. You know, again, I, I think we started off with saying sometimes really new ideas start from frustration with existing options. And I created this. I started this process because I was frustrated that most strategies, the facts are very clear, whether you go to Morningstar or wherever, the most active strategies fail to beat a benchmark on a consistent basis. And I struggle with that. I'm a highly competitive person. I'm a highly passionate person. And I believe that if, if my goal was to create something in the large cap category, which is the bulk of somebody's portfolio, so it's very important, the overall outcome that they have, I believe that I could create a better more comprehensive investment index and hopefully products based on that index that allowed for better performance and also to be able to sleep at night. Not for the good times because we don't really worry about our portfolio too much when everything's working, but we do spend a lot of time analyzing what we own and why we own it during difficult times. And so the goal was create an investment that was allocated towards large cap because it was very important and give yourself the best chance you could at beating the benchmark simply by looking different than the benchmark. I, I learned early in my career, if your goal is to beat a benchmark, you have to, one, understand it, what drives it, what its weaknesses are, and you have to look different in order to beat it. And so that's what I wanted to, to create here. And by simply doing a ton of research, I realized that if you just tilted your portfolio to the drivers of the economy, the best consumer brands, you probably give yourself a better chance at outperforming. And I wanted to wake up every morning with passion and conviction to go out and tell my story with advisors who have clients who are saving and investing for retirement for different goals and to give them an option that had a portfolio of, of companies that they understood, admired, and that they could feel good about in difficult times. Well, I can tell your passion. I, I can feel it as I can look across, across the table here from you. I can't help but notice that you are the second portfolio manager we have talked to recently who brought up their mother. Now, ordinarily, portfolio managers are looking at numbers. They're writing white papers. They're not so humanized, okay? 
what about this strategy do you see being able to apply to people that are important to you personally? It's interesting you say that. I'm, uh, I'm an only child, so I'm always thinking about my, uh, my mom. But from, a, from an industry perspective, that old adage, know your client, I think is pretty important. So if you look at the, the average age of the baby boomer and the average age of an advisor and the average age of their client, they are a pretty influential group, and they're about my mom's age, maybe a little bit younger. So I think for us, collectively, it's really important as this group of people gets towards retirement and is in and is in retirement, it's pretty important that we all get it right. And when I created this index, I wanted to create a, a product that would perform, but I also wanted it, uh, I wanted to get it right for a, a group of investors. We hope it works out well for you. I appreciate that. Okay, so tell us, why in your opinion would someone be foolish to not invest in or at least investigate this strategy. We all live in the U.S. We all invest in stocks in some form or fashion, and we all have this home bias of U.S. companies. And there's certainly evidence to support putting our money in high-quality companies that we understand and holding them for the long term. And so, I, to be honest with you, I, if, your, if your goal is to invest, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to have an allocation to the best brands, whether it's through products that we have or through other investments that you make. I would just urge everybody to take a look at what you currently own and ask yourself a question of, do I know why I own it? Do I know what's in the investments that I have? You know, one of the major flaws, I think, of the mutual fund industry is you don't have great data. You don't have updated data. Our portfolios, there's 100% transparency. You know what you own, when you own it, why you own it. And I think that's pretty important. I would just challenge everybody to expect more from your investments and ask more questions to your advisors. And my goal has always been to just empower the investor to want to be more involved in the process because that makes a better investor. So, Eric, for those who want to know more, give us uh, contact information. Yeah, sure. If you're interested in knowing more about the, the Brands Index or any of the funds that we use, you can always email marketing at acuvest.com, A-C-C-U-V-E-S-T, or our phone number in Walnut Creek, which is a suburb of San Francisco. That's 925-930-2882. And how about the website address? That's acuvest.com, and there's a tab across the top that says Alpha Brands. You can click on that tab and get lots of great information and some of our fact sheets and investment case. Spell Acuvest again for us poor spellers. A-C-C-U-V-E-S-T. So, Eric, final words for our listeners here. One, I wanted to say thank you for, for letting me tell this story. You know, for all the advisors that are listening out there, you now have one investment vehicle that gets you access to the leading brands across nine sectors. It's really easy to go out and get consumer discretionary and consumer staples investments, whether they be mutual funds or ETFs, but I have not found a comprehensive way to get access to the consumer theme, the consumption theme via the nine sectors, and that's why we had to create what we did. Eric, thank you very much. We really appreciate you uh, joining us here on Strategy Casters today. Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate it. Again, on uh, Strategy Casters, we've been listening to Eric Clark, a portfolio manager and uh, creator of the Alpha Brands Consumer Spending Index of AccuVest. This is Charlie Wright, wishing everyone an enjoyable week and productive investing. You have been listening to Strategy Casters. 
your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategycasters.com. Thank you.